She had just listened to his boast over the phone of how much he loved her. He would climb the highest mountain to get to her. He would swim the deepest ocean to get to her. He would walk through the deepest valley to get to her. Imagine her disappointment then when he ended the conversation before hanging up the phone by saying, I'll see you tomorrow if it doesn't rain. <laughs> see, words are sometimes just that, words. Except, of course, when the person speaking them is God himself, who is always faithful to his word. And so you probably know the woman I will be talking about this morning. She is very likely in church this morning. She might be, in fact, sitting in the row next to you. Maybe you are that woman. She married young, very young, in fact. They were high school sweethearts. She couldn't imagine spending her life with anyone besides him. Even before they would graduate, he had popped the question, and she had said yes. She dreamed of a great life with him, and for a while it was that. Just a few years into the marriage, however, something went terribly wrong. She began feeling abandoned, distressed, unloved, uncared for, and then someone desiring to be a husband to her came to her speaking words that any abandoned wife desperately needs to hear. Our text is Isaiah chapter 54, and I'm going to read verses 4 through 10. Allow me, however, to just give some thank yous that I really needed to express earlier. I want to thank Clinton and Corbin and Isaiah and Seth and Lije for setting out those luminaries that you all really enjoyed Christmas Eve. I heard so many comments about those. Thank you very much. I also want to thank you, Rhonda, for your leadership uh, in worship and for the excellent job you've done, not just over the um, Christmas holidays, but throughout the year. Thank you so very much. And to your leadership team, your worship team, for ably assisting you. Thank you so very much. Let's put our hands together for that. Amen. All right, so... This husband, this man who, who, who wanted to be a husband to her, comes to her and says these words in Isaiah chapter 54, verses 4 through 10. Do not be afraid. You will not be put to shame. Do not fear disgrace. You will not be humiliated. You will forget the shame of your youth and remember no more the reproach of your widowhood. For your maker is your husband, the Lord Almighty is his name, the Holy One of Israel is your Redeemer. He is called the God of all the earth. The Lord will call you back as if you were a wife deserted and distressed in spirit, a wife who married young only to be rejected, says your God. For a brief moment I abandoned you, but with deep compassion, I will bring you back. 
In a surge of anger, I hid my face from you for a moment, but with everlasting kindness, I will have compassion on you, says the Lord, your Redeemer. To me, this is like the days of Noah, when I swore that the waters of Noah would never again cover the earth. So now I have sworn not to be angry with you, never to rebuke you again. Though the mountains be shaken and the hills be removed, yet my unfailing love for you will not be shaken, nor my covenant of peace be removed, says the Lord, who has compassion on you. Aren't those beautiful words? Now, if we were to conduct a poll this morning of the fears that you and I carry, I am not sure that there would be anyone among us who would say that there wasn't something or perhaps a list of things that we were afraid of. So these are the top fears that people have according to the website selfhelpcollective.com. The top ten. Fear of commitment. That's number ten. Nine, fear of spiders. My wife told me when we got married, you have to kill, you have to promise to kill all the spiders for me. Fear of spiders. Number eight, fear of rejection. Number seven, fear of failure. Number six, fear of death and dying. Number five, fear of intimacy. Number four, fear of the dark. Number three, fear of heights. Number two, fear of public speaking. And number one, fear of flying. Amazing, huh? So fear is a universal experience. All of us experience it. Hence the words, the opening words in our text, do not be afraid. God himself not only said those words on this occasion, but he says them over and over and over in Scripture. Do not be afraid. Fear not. And so in Isaiah 41 and verse 3, for example, he says this, Fear not, talking to his people, for I am with you. Be not dismayed. In other words, don't allow yourselves to become overwhelmed by what you experience. For I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. I believe that loneliness is perhaps our greatest fear. That's just my my own uh, perception. It's our greatest fear. The fear of not having someone to share our bed with, to share our affections with, to share our pain, our joys, our disappointments, to share life with, to grow old with, to take care of. So the woman in our text is afraid. She's afraid of loneliness. She's struggling with the rejection that happens because of a shameful mistake that she had made early on in her marriage. The woman happens to be a wife, God's wife. A metaphor for the tiny nation of Judah who God considered to be his people. And so God had covenanted with her to be her faithful husband. 
And he had kept his marriage vows as a faithful husband because, you see, God never is unfaithful. He can never be accused of being unfaithful or of being untrue to his word. So he kept his, his uh, marital vows and his covenant with his wife. She, however, had been an unfaithful wife. She had repeatedly cheated on him, broken her marriage vows, chased after multiple lovers who used her, abused her, and then left her empty. And so the, this cycle of affairs caused God to withdraw his protection from her. He allowed the powerful nation of Babylon to break down her walls, to invade her city, to completely destroy it, and then to take thousands of them back to the land of Babylon in exile as captives. And so that's how she became a deserted wife, a distressed wife. She's in a lot of pain and anguish because of her captivity. Now, loneliness hits women differently than men, but it hits us all. We're all affected by it. And so in her loneliness and desertion in a land far away from home, she has time on her hands to think about her unfaithfulness to the husband who had remained faithful to her all the while. And just like the prodigal son who in a distant land uh, wasted away everything on women and alcohol and then became remorseful, this woman becomes remorseful for her unfaithfulness and she longs for her husband to forgive her. I hope you realize that this is not a made-up story. It is a true story. It really happened. And it is still happening. You and I live this story to one degree or another. Unfaithfulness on any level is a painful and shameful experience. And the more intimate the relationship, the greater the pain that is caused by unfaithfulness. The pain that an unfaithful, that unfaithfulness causes an innocent spouse is no greater than the pain that God feels over the unfaithfulness of our sin. In both cases, trust is violated, pain is felt, and sometimes retaliation results. And so the night before her wedding day, an Australian bride discovered that her fiancé Alex had cheated on her just before the wedding, not just before the wedding, but also on numerous occasions prior to that. And so while she and her best friends were partying in a fancy hotel room, she received a text from a number that she did not recognize. I wouldn't marry him, the text said. Will you? And then there were some screenshots of exchanges between Alex and the other woman. I wish my girlfriend had half the skills you do, one of the texts read. I've never had this kind of connection before, read another. So the woman says, every word, the bride that is, felt, every word felt like a dagger in my heart and my wedding was only, an hour, only hours away. How could I cancel when everyone had already traveled to be there and everything had already been paid for? And so instead of calling the wedding off, she decided that she would exact revenge on her cheating fiancé. 
Instead of reading her wedding vows at the altar, she would read his incriminating texts. What a thing to do, huh? A woman scorned is... I'll leave that for you guys to figure out. (laughs) But that's what she decided to do. And so on the day of the wedding, she pulls on her dress. She gets herself ready. She walks down the aisle as her friends and her family are all admiring her. And then she stands next to Alex. She says this, it seems Alex is not who I thought he was. And then she read all of his cheating texts to the other woman. With each text, with each word that was shared, the color left Alex's face, but he said not a word. He grabbed his best man and they both stormed out of the church while the guests looked on horrified. I'm told that the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. And so taking back a wife who is repeatedly unfaithful says something, I think, about the husband's insanity. Unless that husband happens to be God. Because, you see, God, who is the faithful husband that he is, shows up. But I want us to to notice the very first words out of his mouth to his unfaithful wife. His first words are these, Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Now, this is not to say that what you've done has not hurt me and is not shameful, but let me cover up your shame, God is telling her. This is not to say that what you've done is not disgraceful, but let me protect you from the disgrace that you really deserve. This is not to say that you haven't humiliated me by your multiple affairs, but let me spare you the humiliation that you deserve. Not only am I your maker, but I am your redeemer. I want to buy you back. I want to buy you back from your unfaithfulness. So that's what eight-year-old Tom did. He had just built this little boat and had taken it to the edge of the river. He released it very gently into the river, held it with a string, and just admired it as the sun shone warmly on him. However, a current suddenly developed and burst the string on the boat. The boat began to drift, and Tom frantically ran along the river's edge trying to rescue the boat. But soon it ran out of sight, and after looking for it for hours, he decided to give up and return home. The next day, however, as he's coming home from school, he spots his boat in the window of a shop and goes in and says to the owner, that's my boat, sir, can I have it? The owner says, I'm sorry, sir, but somebody else brought your boat in, and if you really want it, you're going to have to pay a dollar for it. Tom runs home, empties his piggy bank, there's exactly a dollar in it, comes back, buys the boat back from the owner, And as he's leaving the store, Tom hugs his boat and says, Now you're twice mine. I made you and I bought you. Now that's what redemption means. That God made us, first of all, in his image. 
He puts his arm around us as the unfaithful wife that we are. And he says to us, you are twice mine. I made you, but I am buying you back with the blood that I shed on the cross for your sins. That is the beauty of God's love for us. And so we who are listening to this story, we are people of justice, aren't we? We love to see justice done. I think Americans, by and large, are people of justice. As somebody from a third world country, I always admired America standing up for the underdog, standing up for justice. But not only are Americans people of justice, we as Christians also are people of justice. We want to see wrong punished, and we want to see right rewarded. I'm sure that Greg, who loves to watch Hallmark movies, right? <laughs> like me. <laughs> you love to see the good guy win, right? You love to see this guy win the girl and the guy that you don't like lose. We, we, we all, we, we, that happens on so many levels. We root for the, the good guy. And so when God comes to the unfaithful wife and offers to buy her back and spare her the humiliation and the disgrace that she so deserved, this is not what we expect, is it? This, is, this goes against what we expect. We expect to see justice done. We expect to see her punished. So for the unfaithful wife, however, what she needs and what she fears are opposite. What she needs is compassion. What she fears is rejection. So when God offers to buy her back, this is not what she expects also. God says to her, with deep compassion, I will bring you back. With everlasting kindness, I will have compassion on you. Do you know what word God uses here for compassion and kindness? It is the Hebrew word hesed. Now, biblical scholars can't agree as to what this word really means. Can't agree at all. Some English versions of the Bible usually try to represent it with words like loving kindness, if you read the King James Version, mercy, steadfast love, compassion, grace, loyalty, but these words don't really capture the meaning, the true meaning of the word. Because the true meaning, we're told, cannot be conveyed in the English language. Because you see, if you and I could ever describe God's, the extent of God's love, then we would be God ourselves. We just cannot understand the depth of God's love, the depth of his mercy, and the depth of his compassion. So the best that the translators could do to capture it in a way that we could understand is to describe this love as being deep without being able to tell us how deep it goes. That's the best they can do. They can tell us that it is everlasting without being able to tell us how long it extends into eternity. And so there is no depth we can fall to that the love of God can't bring us back from. I don't care where you go, where you drift, what um, behavior you descend into, the love of God is quite capable of reaching you there and bringing you back into God's embrace. 
even if it was a one-time affair that was by mistake, or multiple affairs that were deliberate, or anything that we moral people consider to be reprehensible, there is no place that you can sink to that the love of God is not able to descend there with you and to bring you back from. I thought I would hear an amen there, boy. I thought I was really preaching good. I know you're agreeing with me. And so the guy in our introduction, he boasted of how much he loved his girlfriend, but he had no way of actually delivering on that promise. It wasn't real. But God boasts of a love that he really does have and he really does intend to keep. He will never take back because God is faithful. He never walks away from a covenant that he makes. And so listen to what he goes on to say to his unfaithful wife that he has just bought back. Verse 10. He says this, Though the mountains be shaken and the hills be removed, yet my unfailing love for you will not be shaken nor my covenant of peace be removed, says the Lord who has compassion on you. I'm sure you've heard of volcanic eruptions and earthquakes that have caused mountains to shift and hills to be destroyed and so on. And throughout Israel's history, there was a lot of shaking that happened to them because of their unfaithfulness. There was slavery in Egypt. There was exile in Babylon. There were attacks on the city from um, enemy nations and so on. Every once in a while, we who are the bride of Christ, we also find our world shaken by an unexpected turn of events and circumstances and our peace is threatened as fear invades our lives. That happens. But I want you to hear God's word to you this morning. Even if events shake your life and your faith, God says, my unfailing love for you will never be shaken. Do you really hear what I'm saying? Are these words really sinking in? God says, even if the circumstances of your life shake your world and shake the very foundation on which you're standing, my unfailing love for you will never be shaken. I will never remove my covenant of peace with you. My deep compassion and, and everlasting kindness will never be removed from you. And yes, God is making this promise to his people, Israel. But we are spiritual Israel. We're God's children. We have been adopted. We have been grafted in as we talked about last, I mean a couple of weeks ago. And so, as a matter of fact, that's what led to the very first Christmas. We had all, like this unfaithful spouse, turned from God and turned to our own way. And God, like the faithful husband that he is, he took on human flesh. He came into our world. He took our sins upon himself. He took them to a cross so that he might buy us back from our unfaithfulness. Just like Tom bought back his little boat and it became twice his. So the Apostle Paul, 
who describes himself as the chief of sinners, meaning that if there was anybody who was the worst sinner, and if anybody could fit that description, Paul says, that was me. But he found the redeeming love of God so precious, so priceless, so overwhelming, that this is what he does. He resorts to praying a prayer constantly, regularly. He prays that he might be enabled to understand somehow and to comprehend and to experience the love of God that is without description. And he prays that we also might experience it as well. And so this is his prayer in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 17 through 18. Paul says, And I pray that you, he's referring then to the Christians in the church at Ephesus, and this prayer can extend to us as well. Paul says, And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, God's love, the same love that we're talking about, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge. How can you know something that is beyond knowing? So Paul is praying that that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. That is a prayer worth praying for ourselves and for one another, that we might experience, we might truly know what it is, we might grasp how deep and how long and how high and how wide is the love of Christ toward us. So unfaithfulness, whether it is a one-time event, or a series of events. Once the thrill of unfaithfulness has worn off, it always leaves us feeling lonely, feeling empty, feeling thirsty for another thrill. So that's why some people went out this Christmas and got drunk, because they thought, or maybe they got high, because they thought just being drunk once more, being high once more, or being able to party once more, or have that affair would actually give them the kick and the thrill that they were longing for. But then it wore off. It left them empty. Some thought that the gifts would do the trick. Some people thought that maybe going on a shopping spree would do it for them. The thrill has worn off and it has left them empty, wanting more. Which is why God says this. To people who are still empty and wanting more, Isaiah chapter 55, God himself gives this gracious invitation. He says, come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters, and you who have no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on, the, on what is not bread and you labor on what does not satisfy? Listen to me and eat what is good and you will delight in the richest of fear. Give ear and come to me. Listen that you may live. I will make an everlasting covenant with you. My faithful love promised to David. What a promise. What an invitation. If you have spent all and you're empty, and you're still desiring another thrill, come, Jesus says, come God says, and I will give you the satisfaction that you really are searching for. And so 
Throughout this past year, perhaps many times this past year, you have been unfaithful. If not to your earthly spouse, then to your heavenly spouse. We have all been unfaithful. None of us have followed him perfectly. None of us have loved him the way that he desires to be loved. But God knows that your unfaithfulness have left you, has left you empty, lonely, distant, with nothing left to spend, afraid of God's justice, in need of God's mercy. Yet your unfaithfulness doesn't keep God from coming back to you with his unfailing love and saying to you this, with deep compassion, I will bring you back. With everlasting kindness, I will have compassion on you. Here's where I want to get real with you this morning. If your desire this morning is to be brought back into the embrace of the God who has nothing but deep compassion and unfailing love for you, not his justice, not his condemnation, but deep compassion without us knowing how deep and everlasting kindness without us knowing how long it would last. If this is your desire this morning, then I'm asking you, I'm going to ask you to come to him. Come to him in your seat, on your knees, at an altar. Talk to him. Ask him. Allow us to pray with you. That you might experience this deep compassion and everlasting kindness that God wants to lavish on you. All heads bowed. All eyes closed. Have I spoken to anyone this morning? Is God saying anything to anyone this morning? If you sense that, if you are resonating in any way with this message, and you are hearing God's invitation to come to him, to be restored, to be forgiven, to receive his peace and his blessing. May I see your hand? Amen. Yes, I see your hand. Yes, I see that hand. Yes, I see the other. Yes, yes. Yes, I see you. Yes, I see you. Yes. God, all across this building, hands have been raised of people who have felt in their spirits that you have said something to them in this hour. Holy Spirit, as only you can, I pray that in this sensitive moment, the Holy Spirit would be faithful to honor his word and his promise to them. May they experience in this hour, as they never have before, the deep compassion and the everlasting kindness that you so desire to lavish on them. God, I pray that you would do in their hearts the work that only you can do. I pray, God, that you would cause them to even sense right now that you, you, you are present with them. You are forgiving their sin. You are restoring them. You are healing them emotionally, physically, spiritually. 
whatever they need that they bring to you this morning. I pray, God, that you do exceedingly, abundantly, above even what they desire or ask. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm also going to ask you, because I believe there maybe is another group of people who, in spite of doing your best to be faithful, you have had your world shaken recently by some turn of events that you did not expect. Your world has been rocked. You didn't see it coming. Not at this time. Not so young. Not when things were going so well for you. Your world has been rocked. I want to say to you this morning that God is giving you some words of assurance and some words of compassion, and I want you to receive them deep into your spirit. These are not my words. These are God's word to you. He says, though the mountains be shaken and the hills be removed, yet my unfailing love for you will not be shaken nor my covenant of peace be removed, says the Lord who has compassion on you. So I want to say to you this morning that if you need to experience or re-experience God's presence with you as your world has been rocked, if you want to know for certain of God's promise to you that your world, although shaken, will not cause you to not be a recipient of his compassion and his grace and his mercy, if these words apply to you while all heads are bowed and eyes closed, I'm going to say to you this morning also that you can come to God in your seat, on your feet, or at an altar where we can pray for you, that you would experience the reality of God's promise to you this morning. If that describes you, while all heads are bowed, and eyes closed, may I see your hand? Thank you. Thank you. I see several hands. I see several hands. I see several hands. Yes, I see that one too. Let us pray again. Holy Spirit, people have responded to you this morning. You have spoken. Your word is faithful and your word is true. There is nothing like the word of God that ministers to a heart that is listening to it and is open to it and receives it. And now, God, they are acting upon it in response to it, and we are asking, Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, that you would come alongside these people whose boats and lives have been rocked, maybe this week, maybe in the past week, maybe a few months ago. Whatever the timing, whatever the situation it's all the same to you, God. You are more than able to be present with them. We're asking boldly this morning that you would cause faith to arise in the hearts and lives of these people. May they trust you even as they go through this difficult situation that you've called them to go through. 
God, I pray that you would use this situation, painful as it is, to teach them to rely constantly upon you, to trust you with every step they're going to make from now on, to commit it to you on a daily basis. Let this be something that constantly drives them to you until you choose to either heal them, take it away from them, or destroy it completely. May they embrace this as, as their greatest friend that drives them to their knees and drives them in dependence upon you. But God, as they go through it, may they know that you're going through with them. May there never be a day, an hour or a minute, that they do not sense your presence with them, going through it with them and helping them to overcome. God, we thank you because you're faithful. Help us to trust you in the days ahead. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.